Stars fading, but I linger on. Still craving your kiss, and I. Blunt Podcast Radio, man. Finally made it, man for the take it. Book of my life and I never could fake it. Straight to the top and you gotta embrace it. It is what it is, we never gon' break it. We back to the building, stacking it up till we feel it. Running, I'm feeding the village. Count every second I'm living. Yeah, hundred thousand dollars up down the machine. Never switch sides on the guys you can see. Never let it slide, we gon' ride any means. Don't know what they heard, don't know what they seen. You know what it is. Yeah, yeah, we did what we did. Yeah, yeah, never forget. Yeah, yeah, this how you live. Yeah. How we live, come to my section Focus on winning, cause that's my direction Hold for the top and I keep a connection I swear it's a lot and you know it's a blessing You know that I'm gifted, all of the sky Fly like a dove, they give me my wings My jungle is concrete, humming and cocky Never can stop me, that's what I mean Hard for the streets, green what I bleed Marry the hustle, I'm all on my knees Just as the day I was bad on my luck But I never give up, I say marry me please Watching me serving the streets like a Hibachi Staying on point like an arrow Apache High key music today is monotony Feeling the vibes whenever she watch me, yeah Everything I'm doing, I seen it. I ain't gonna last on the field like a genius. Calling me the man and a man like Benny. No, I ain't seagull. Go like a penguin. I fly like a seagull. I keep me a genius. She wear me through wishes. You know what I'm thinking. Hang for the stars. Don't jump up the blinking. They sit for my cup, but they never can drink it. We finally made it. Man for the taking. Book of my life and I never could fake it. Straight to the top and you gotta embrace it. It is what it is. We never gonna break it. We back to the building. Stacking it up till we feel it. Running, I'm feeding the village. Count every second I'm living. Yeah. $100,000 stuff down in between Never switch sides on the guys you can see Never let it slide, we gon' ride any means Don't know what they heard, don't know what they seen You know what it is, yeah, yeah. We did what we did, yeah, yeah Never forget, yeah, yeah This how you live, yeah, yeah, yeah How can back live my life with no conscience? My people with me, knocking noodle with a chopstick I ain't come to lose, play it cool That don't mean we cool, bet it all on me if I'm gon' gamble, bout to make a move, break bread. Yeah, we finally made it. I ain't never been the same. Yeah, brave bands on my eyes like a play there, but I ain't never been in line. Yeah, come from the dirt like an ashes. Just stuffing this money inside of my pocket. She falling in love, she know that I got it. Impressing myself, and I gotta be honest. We finally made it. Man for the taking. Booking my life, and I never could fake it. Straight to the top, and you gotta embrace it. It is what it is. We never gonna break it. We back to the building. Stacking it up till we feel it. Running, I'm feeling the village. Every second I'm living, yeah. Hundred thousand dollars up down the machine. Never switch sides on the guys you can see. Never let it slide, we gon' ride any means. Don't know what they heard, don't know what they seen. You know what it is, yeah, yeah. We did what we did, yeah, yeah. Never forget, yeah, yeah. This how you live, yeah, yeah.
like the look on somebody's face. You went up there and ruined the most special night of everybody in that room. Questlove won that Oscar that was being presented. Does everybody remember that? Danny Glover won that night. We've been waiting on Danny Glover to get one forever. We don't remember none of that. And he's a pillar in the community. That, that Oscars was being directed by a black <laughs> yep. director. This was our time to shine. He's a pillar in the community. No, he's a stain on the biggest night of our community in entertainment. That's all we will remember. His inability to control himself. When are we going to call Will out for anything? This is making all these choices. Now she's forcing him to do She's forcing him. Just because she's bald, now they think she's Professor X. Like she's putting thoughts into this head. He's rising up, going up, and slapping somebody. And so many other people that were affiliated with that. But they that's what my little leaguers did when they went playing baseball. You know, they were involved in a, a program that was formed for underprivileged kids. Right. And now that's, that's what I, I was hearing all my life. But. You know, so... We used to go down there, and instead of them being, they also had classes for them. When they didn't have, weren't in classes, we were able to use the University of Chicago on a baseball field to practice. So they got a chance to experience a lot of things. The guys, the kids that I kind of grew, raised uh, and was coaching as a, as a little league coach. So met a lot of people doing through that. But Michael can tell you more about that because he was – also affiliated with that program, he, you know, and in the capacity, I'm not sure, so he'll probably tell you that. But there's so much other thing that was going on during that time, you know, so that was beneficial to underprivileged kids. The league started, little league started when I got when I when I got when my wife and I got married. Your mom, in particular, uh, we were living on. If I'm not mistaken, let me get the address right. Hmm, it's interesting. Hmm. I can't remember the address right now. Let me just go past that. But the area we were in, what it called is the Brainerd area, which is uh, we stayed on 92nd, 91st, right between Ada and right off of Ada. But I, I was always a basketball player, played basketball and everything and everything. So, But I used to see the little kids out in the park playing baseball. No, they had no equipment, no nothing, you know, everything. So, so you know, I, I played little league, and I said, well, let me go over and see what they, if they got somebody that's teaching them how to play or they just out here trying to learn how to play because normally the kids seem like they knew how to play. <laughs> so I went over there, you know, and, and talked to a few of the kids and see, you know, that were they were really interested in playing baseball. And they said, yeah. So it kind of gave me an idea that this is where I can give back to the neighborhood that I can get involved in something like this, you know. And what year was this? You know what, now I'm going to try it. I got married in 69. I think we moved over there in 70. So it's, it had to be somewhere between 70 and 71. Okay. When you, you know, so I, I, at that time. And that, what I used to do was go out there because the basketball court was right adjacent to the baseball field. And at that time, I was still playing basketball. So I would go out there and be shooting ball. That's how I saw all these kids out there, so. They didn't seem to be interested in basketball. They seemed to want to want to play baseball, but they have no equipment. Maybe one bat, maybe one glove. There'd be people, four or five kids that were out there. So when I talked to them, I said, "Well, let me see what I can do." 
And like I said, this is where my, my brother comes in, Michael, uh, like a part of this program. So I went in town to talk to him with the University of Illinois about I had some kids in the neighborhood that were interested in playing baseball, but they didn't have any equipment or anything. I, could you help me out? So when I looked up, it might have been within a week, mm-hmm. not even that long, my brother came over there with a complete equipment for baseball, <laughs> bats, balls, uh, catcher's equipment, everything, you know. So when I came back out there, I brought it out there, and it was only about four kids then. Then all of a sudden the word got out of the neighborhood. Then it became seven, eight, nine kids. So it was no big thing. So I was out there just with the equipment. None of them knew how to hit or how to catch or how to use equipment or anything. So I had to kind of teach them everything. But the more we were out there, the more kids would show up, you know. So it was no literally organization at that time in the area. So I said, well, you know, we all stay in the same neighborhood. Let's see how many kids really want to play. So when I end up, I might end up with 12, maybe 13 kids, enough equipment for us to play and, and to have a little gang, rotate a gang. And being, being an organizer in the Boy Scouts and everything, I kind of knew that you could play with just 12 kids. You didn't have to have just uh, uh, nine kids to play because you could play uh, what we call uh, you hit until you're out, then you rotate the players and let them go. The three the three players, nine players will play the field. Three will hit. Once you get your three outs, then you rotate each player to another position. So, it, you know, that went on. So, at one time, as that went on, then more and more kids, and I think someone in the neighborhood decided, well, wow, all these kids are playing baseball, and some of the parents started seeing it and everything. And I didn't know they didn't have a program out there. So ran into a guy who was coaching Jackie Robinson West. And uh, he kind of, kind of, he had a baseball team that he was coaching and he needed somebody to practice against. I said, well, hey, I got a team, but they're not, you know, they're not organizing. I'm part of an organization. So and that'll be a nice team to practice against. They were really good, you know, because they were organized. So, but the kids got a chance to get a taste of being a, a physical game against another team so really that's basically how it started and as time went on the neighborhood uh where the couple guys finally decided maybe we should do something in this neighborhood maybe we should form a jackie robinson league ourselves and that's what eventually came about and we became jackie robinson jackie robinson southwest and that's how it really got formed but at that point in time you know uh, there wasn't no, nothing there. There was no field house. It was just a park, and it kind of grew the neighborhood, you know. But that's basically how the how I got started in little league. Now, were you were you teaching all these kids uh, yourself, or um, and then where did you get all the like? Where did you get the? Um, were you in the baseball when you were little? Yeah, I played little league when I was little. So that, in fact, baseball was my first love before I moved into the. And, and to argue guards, and when I started playing basketball, but baseball was my first love, so I had an idea. Plus, you know, I played in the military, played uh, baseball uh, when I was in, in the military, so I knew the basic fundamentals. And plus, I, you know, I, you know, I played baseball in high school, so I mm. had an idea how to play, you know. So 
I teach I, I teach and I show them how to pitch and I pitch when I played. So I knew I knew how to do a curveball, knew certain things and knew how to hold a bat, knew how to catch ground balls and how to catch fly balls. But the more I got to teaching them, the better I got at it and, and learning a little bit more about it. You know. Hmm. So then it just got to once the league was formed, we end up with I don't know, maybe we had to have maybe twenty teams hmm. of all the, the branded area. So it became a real big thing in that area, and uh, and it, it was the, it was one of probably one of the best things I ever done. Now, um, now uh, after you got the equipment and you got the kids, um, what what was far as like, like how did you come up with like uniforms? Did y'all have uniforms? Oh, the um, uniforms came about that once the league got started, they decided where we could afford could get complete uniforms, so most of the teams had. T-shirts and whatever they could wear as the jean with the team name on it. Me, I had to be a little different, you know, being that uh, I just wanted to look better than everybody else. And I had a good job, worked for CTA, and uh, I decided to buy my team uniforms on my own, you know, with my money. I know it might not have been the best day to do, trying to outdo all other teams, but, you know, at, being a young at that time, I think I was only – 23 years old as a little league coach and everything. So, you know, not trying to outdo nobody, but I guess that's what they ended up doing. So I happened to find a store, even though I, I didn't realize how expensive uniforms were. So I said, wow, this is a lot of money to spend for 13, 14 kids. But I found a uniform store on 95th, I think it had to be 95th and Cicero. And they had uh, some uniforms that a team had to decided they didn't want anymore. Mm-hmm. And he was actually going to give it to me, but re- really nothing because, you know, they couldn't use them anymore. So it kind of worked out real good. And only probably already had a team name on it. And the team name of it was the Reds. <laughs> so we didn't mind that because at that time, Cincinnati was a pretty good team, mm-hmm. you know, even though we're from Chicago. So basically that's how the uniforms came about. Now, um, now, once you started all with the teams, uh, you got the teams together with the Jackie Robinson, you said Southwest? Yeah. Now, once that name got branded, now uh, started. Now, how did the games come about, and how did those come out? Games came about, you play in a, in a league within your league. And then once you become part of a, uh, a league like Jackie Robinson, you can go as far as down to, uh, to the League League World Championship. It, at the end of the season, you produce an all-star team. And once you produce an all-star team, then you compete against your section, regional, and so forth, so forth. And the team that keeps winning is a team that would advance to go down to a – I think it was – where's the Little League thing? I think it's in um, uh, Williamsville, Pennsylvania. Williamsburg, Williamsburg, Williamsville. Yeah. So – we never made that far, but that was okay. We had opportunity to experience uh, uh, some of it, and I happened to be one of the better coaches since I was one of the newer coaches and the youngest coach, so I ended up being most of the time in charge of the all-star team. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And how many uh, – now, how was the kids reflecting uh, to all this, uh, seeing that they had someone that, that was able to – that was willing to teach them and you pretty much, you weren't even getting paid for this, were you? Oh, no, you don't get paid for this. This is a volunteer. But it got to be so real, so good that, like you say, when we had games, the park would be completely full. And all the parents in the neighborhoods, you know, you know, would be out there. And it just, it, 
it made the neighborhood grow. And it got to a point that, you know, everybody knew when gang days, the park was completely full with parents. It wasn't no fighting and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it kept, it, it made the area a lot better. The kids needed to be involved in something. And this, I mean, then it, it's just, it kept the, the, the they made the, the park just to keep up the park as well. They would get the fields prepared to make them look professional and everything, grass be cut and everything. It just made and it made it real nice for the kids. It even got so the parents would come out there, we barbecue and sell snowballs and have everything, which is most of Little League organization did. We didn't have a a park that was completely enclosed like some of the uh, little league organizations had mm-hmm. so all our parks were just wide open so when you hit a home run you had to run around the bases there was no fences so we uh we were in a we never got to that point we were trying to get to that point to get our own park but uh we never got that far at least i did when i was there mm-hmm. uh now were you the only family member that was doing this or did you have other help i know you said oh Mike yeah helped. i have uh, my and then uh, since I'm from such a big family, I had one of my brothers, you know, he used to come over and he liked the baseball. He wanted to, he couldn't play, but he wanted to be an empire. So everything was volunteer. So one of my brothers was an empire, but all my other brothers who were there were instrumental. They would come out just to watch the games and watch the kids. But I had one brother that was an empire, and the rest of them was more like spectators. And my, uh, but the parents that were involved, it's just got to be a real good thing. I think that most people probably don't know much about Jackie Robinson uh, Southwest, but uh, you know, I can just tell you. And the original founders who decided to form the organization, I, I'm not going to take credit for that, were uh, Niles Sherman and Howard Brookins. So, you know, and and because they had the backing and the funding and. And the organization, they knew more about forming an an, uh, organization with it, you know. So now, um, now, now as y'all were playing, now how good did the players get to be? Well, at that time, we we started off with just 11, 12-year-olds. But the more we played, it started to expand, that we started to have a smaller league to beginners league to teach them. So we had... Then we had the, the smaller league. Then we had the 11, 12-year-old league. Then we had the, the pony league, which is kids 13 and over. It, that's how much it grew. So each team had their own coach, had the responsibility of teaching they, their players how to do everything. Uh, that's just the way it was. But uh, it grew and grew and grew, like I say, because we had, we had the, the little league, the minor leagues and the pony league, mm. and the little the minor leagues is is kids that were starting beginners who basically were ten and under, and they had more of a, a teaching process of how to teach them how to play. Mm. Uncle Mike was able to get you a, equipment through his program or what program he was going through. Well, he was able to get me right because the program was it was. Uh, was down in the, uh, I don't know the name of the program. You can probably, when you ask Mike about it, it was a program that was formed by the, by Larry Hawkins in the University of, of Chicago. And uh, so, but they were, they could afford it. And when they knew anything, they always wanted kids to be involved in something anyway. So 
is it was easy for them to do. And like I said, we and everybody eventually ended up with equipment because we used to have to go out there and and sell certain items and everything. But it got to be that everybody had equal amount of equipment. And eventually, everybody had uniforms and everything. So it just took a little time. But uh, you know, it was most probably the best times of my life. Uh, it, how many how many years was it? How many years did it, did it go? Wow, let me see. How many years did I? Let me see. I had three, one, two. Three, how many sets of teams did I have? Because all of my kids went from little league to pony league, and uh, sometimes you hate to see them leave to go up to another level. But you know, and, some and you were of, teaching all three. No, I, I had brought in coaches. Okay. When my when, when once my team, kids that were past twelve year old went up to the pony league. They didn't want to go to some other team. So I had to find a coach to kind of organize all of them into a team. And so that's what happened. So they wanted to still be affiliated with my program or want me to have some involvement. But I couldn't afford it. I couldn't just coach two teams. That's too much time. Mm -hmm. So I brought some friends in, and they were happy with that. Take them as they go to another level. But uh, that's basically how it went. Uh, You know, you asked me something else, I think, a little bit. Um, I was I was saying about um, about the players like uh, oh oh yeah, that's why I wanted to mention because some of the players even advanced to went into high school and ended up on high school baseball teams right uh, I had one in particular I remember that probably should have I wish he had made it in the major leagues but uh, he got hurt in college and uh, never will forget Mr. David Blackwell yeah one of the outstanding players they won city championship for CBS. And uh, he was one of the stars on that team, and I don't know what year it was. I just know what you know that he he did. He then he was drafted in the minor leagues to a minor league team, but he got hurt, and I'm not sure what team that was. So a lot of the kids did real good. It gave them a stable background, and it's something to look forward to. So a lot of the kids, every now and then, I will see a few of them. Now some of the kids were like was like uh, nephews. Oh, some, yeah, like some oh, of the kids. Since he brought that, I'm family. glad you brought that. When I first formed the team, I said, well, my nephews, they both were baseball players. They loved it. One was a catcher, one was a pitcher. So I brought them down to help me teach because they could. I had a pitcher and a catcher, so I didn't have, other spots are easy to fill if you got a pitcher and a catcher because most kids don't know how to, it's hard to teach them how to catch. And it's hard to teach a kid how to pitch if you don't understand it. So when I brought them down and mixed in the kids who had never played, then they kind of paid attention to what they were doing. Hmm. And they learned from them as well. And then I could find out who wanted to do what this and who didn't want to do, who wanted to pitch, who wanted to play this, who wanted to play that. you know. And then it just became, you know, and they were the first two players that I brought in to help them out. And they were already at the point maybe 11 and 12. So they only had one stayed one year, the other stayed two years. What was their name? Oh, their name was uh, uh, Clarence Hardison and Arthur Hardison, nephews. We all, we called uh, Clarence Tony, and we called uh, Arthur, actually, we gave him the name of Bite of Blue, even though he was right-handed because he had such a good fastball. (laughs) That's crazy. That's funny. Uh, yeah. And then, so, now I know you still talk to the family members that was playing. Do you still talk to the kids, some of the kids that you that you were teaching? 
Like in, I, in the past, or did you keep in contact with him? Excuse me. Or vice versa? It's only a few that I've kept in touch with. <coughs> excuse me. During my retirement party, a few of them showed up when I retired from CTA. Uh, I have Daryl Taylor, which was my, actually, I think was the best third baseman I ever had in the league, you know. Uh, I had it. I had one was named Kenneth Carradine. We called him Cud. Uh, he showed up. Then I had, uh, I think those only two showed up. You know, you know, kids get a little older. Yeah. They kind of go their own way. Then I ran into a few. I ran into a couple of my players. You know, when you get up in age, you can't remember everybody's yeah. name. But uh, yeah, I, I ran into a few. You remember any uh, nicknames? Any pe- uh, people nicknames that you was? <clears throat> I was trying to think. I remember most of my first team. I can tell you that. I remember D'Angelo. I remember uh, Keith Carradine was my shortstop. Benny was my second baseman. Uh, <clears throat> uh, my first baseman <clears throat> was D'Angelo. And my, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> and then Tony. Tony was a catcher. And 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 Vita Blue was the pitcher. My outfield, the first outfield, who was in the right left field? Because it might have been, it had to be, it had to be, fellow. Uh, and I'm trying to think of fellow's real name. That's amazing. But his brother was Donnell. I think, I think he was in center field. He was a he was a 12 year old as well. And they were brothers. Fellow was one of my favorite kids. I had a lot of. Them. Right field, I can't remember for sure, you know. But that's you know, was probably my first team that I can re- have recollection of of the nine players that really played. But I had so many. I know I had at least three sets of teams, mm. so I don't went through. I had a lot of kids, and I helped out with the Portland League every now and then. Michael had a good story to tell. Uh, Michael is my brother, and like I gotta say, uh, Michael done did a lot for a lot of folks. And a lot of folks, people really don't know that. I mean, not just, I mean, he's just a, such a good guy. Been a judge, been in the politics, been in, uh, in, in the juvenile system. I just think a lot of folks, he hasn't gotten the credit he should have gotten for all that he has done. Uh, some people, you know, you some people's been? story has never been heard. You think he should have been on the Supreme Court? I I think he w- I think he should have been I think he should have been a nominee for Supreme Court at one time in his life. Uh, in fact, he, even not just for Supreme Court, if the other judges, he should be at least a lifetime judge. He should have been at least elected for one of those positions at one point in the time in his life. Uh, for all he has done for for the kids in the system. Uh, so it's just he his story needs to be heard. There's so much that you need to hear from him. You know, he's he's too humble to say it or mention it. But maybe this is the opportunity now that he's not a judge anymore and back into his law practice. Even during his law practice, he don't have so many people. Uh and I just think a lot of folks just didn't give him the credit because he wasn't part of the system. You know, I know that may sound a little strange, but you know, he always kind of bucked the system, and he did it his way, but he did it in a fair way that, you know, people should be hearing about it. Now, how did you feel about his book? Oh, his book is outstanding. It's only the first chapter of his book, his first edition anyway. Uh, it only goes up to his college days. 
But uh, I kind of found out some things about my brother that I didn't even know about when, and the, the path that he had to take coming from the projects. A lot of folks don't seem to, to know that and all the things he went through and to end up where he was, he could have took a different path. So most folks, you know, the book, I read it and uh, the book was outstanding. Like I say, even though he's my brother, four years younger, I found out some things about my brother I didn't even know about. You know, some of the things he went through that could have turned his, turned his life into a different direction. And he chose not to go that way. Now, the book we're talking about is the autobiography of, of retired Cook County Circuit Court Judge, the Honorable Michael W. Stutley. To the people and not fucking with record companies. And Pimp was one of those guys that wanted to unify yeah. and educate people, you know what I'm saying, and empower people to do it because we started with nothing and people told us we were never going to be nothing. And yeah. we became, for some people, everything, exactly. you know what I'm saying? So at the very least, you got to encourage people to try. My nephew want to rap. My nephew is not going to be good at rapping, right? And I tell him I don't think that. I don't <laughs> think he's going to be successful. But but you should try. But I tell but I, I say I say I tell him you should try. Yeah. Because your granny told me I wasn't going to make yeah. it. Come yeah. on now. And I made it. Yeah. So maybe you doing some music that's not cool to me. But six months from now, it might be the shit to everybody. Everybody. And I'm never going, never going to stop you from trying. Exactly. You exactly. don't want to discourage children from trying. You don't want to discourage people from trying. You don't want to discourage artists, producers, writers from trying. Because you never know. Come on. Even if that ain't for you, you might find a place in this shit just from people seeing your work ethic. Seeing you should, you know, you one of the only rappers I know that come here. You be here 10 minutes early for your session every time. I need somebody to do this for me that I know can open this studio and close this studio. And whenever ain't no session going on, you can work for free. Exactly. That's the type of shit. Right. Yep. That's why you tell people you got to try. Yeah. But if you going to try, if you're going to try, don't, don't half-ass it. If you're going to do it, do it. Don't be lollygagging and dragging your motherfucking ass doing something. If you're going to do that, don't even show up. Because nine times out of ten, nowadays, you get in the job because somebody co-signed you. This my nephew, man. Can you cut for him? He need a job. And then you get up there and you smoking weed on your lunch break. Man, beat your ass for because you fucking my reputation up. Come on. I'm, I'm early. Yep. Every time I ever had to be here, y'all say be here too. I'm here, 150, 145. I'm always early yeah. for everything because it might be traffic. I don't know what the fuck going to happen. That's you. how people miss flights. That's how people miss money. Yeah. Hey, do you know why so many whiteies need facelifts? I love that word. I'm trying to bring it back. <laughs> I love it. It's funny. Whitey! You know why? Do you know why so many Caucasians need facelifts? Because we don't know about lotion. See that? Only half of you laughed. That should have been everybody. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of you were sitting there like, well, what about lotion? <laughs> what is this lotion you speak of, and what is the magic therein? <laughs> Just to put it out there, you can use lotion on other parts of your body besides your dick. <laughs> yeah. If you ever wondered why your dick still looks brand new, but the rest of you is starting to look like an aging pirate. Because you need to increase the circumference. 
of the lotion distribution. All right, you got skin everywhere. Go home, check yourself out. The bottom of your feet look like a prehistoric riverbed. That's not part of the natural aging process. You dried out. I'm not judging you. I'm not judging anybody. I didn't know anything about lotion. Never used it the first 33 years of my life. Never used it. Till one night I was going out with this black girl, right? She was getting ready and she was just putting that shit on everywhere. Just slathering it on. I thought she had like a rash or something. I'm like, what are they, like poison ivy? What's going on with you? She goes, no, I'm just making sure I'm not ashy. I said, ashy? She goes, dry skin. I went, wow. I guess I freaked her out a little bit because I was like, wow. She's like, well, white people get ashy too. I was like, yeah, you know, I, I don't think we do. <laughs> yeah, I've been alive for 33 years. No one has ever said, hey, Bill, uh, you look a little ashy. <laughs> I've never even heard that word until you said it. She's like, you're an idiot, stick out your arm. So I stick out my arm and ever so gently, she just drags her nails down. This smoke starts coming up. It's like pastry flakes flying off, track marks. She's signing her name. She's like, you see that? She goes, that's ashy. You're ashy? Freak me out, I'm like, holy shit, I'm ashy. <laughs> I didn't know anything about it. All I knew was that I always got itchy in the winter. <laughs> Couldn't figure it out, always got itchy in the winter. What the fuck do I get itchy? I thought it meant the bath towel was dirty. That's what I thought. And I would change it out and put a fresh one. Now I'm gonna be okay, take a shower, dry off, fucking itching again. God damn it, I hate the winter. There's a book that was written by these two white gentlemen called Without Sanctuary. If you ever get a chance to read it, it is one of the most profoundly disturbing books I've ever seen in my life. It's a, it's a pictorial history of lynchings and what they used to call nigger barbecues. I'm talking about children, women, male adults lynched. And then they used to put us alive on spits with a fire beneath it and turn us and roast us until we dehydrated. And they'd pick up pieces of the bodies and hundreds of whites would be standing and taking pictures with a body piece in their hand. They have the pictures, they show the pictures in the book. And they say, just get over that? You don't get over that. You have to move on. You have to live your life, you have to grow, you have to accomplish. You cannot use excuses but that is in spite of your history. The Black Panthers. People still ask me how it all started, how things went so far. Like a lot of questions about the Panthers, they're different answers, different beginnings. What became the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense really started with two guys, Bobby Seale and Huey Newton, saying two words, defend yourself. Story has it that they hooked up at some coffee house where Bobby was running down the road. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's easy to see. Right on your black and white TV. Black man, blue cop, red blood. Brothers watching other brothers die. Oh, my. That's the American way. Hey, what you doing? The police threw them both in jail. You know, the man is convinced that his foot is an integral part of our hands. Yeah, fuck that. They get fucked back. And Eddie started talking about black folks ought to start standing up for themselves. 
No master plan, no pot to piss in. Nothing like that. Just two fed up brothers. Next thing you know, bam. You got the Black Panther Party for self-defense. One of the first members to join was little Bobby Hutton. And that got the ball rolling. Dedicated to the fakers hating coach. Yeah, I know you hate me. For all you phony backstabbing actors to try to infiltrate C&E. Y'all could suck a dick and die. From the very first time I saw it in your eyes. Jealousy, lack of respect. But recognize the cause and never die. So never try to defy the laws and cause. Better take another look in my eyes. It's no surprise why my name is Caution. You can tell by the way that I ride. That your side don't want no problems. To make, got news to break. Anything that I do, yeah, it is a go hit me. Just know the hatin' is gon' show. Don't hate on the no no, cause hatin's a no no. I guess I'm hate cause I do it solo. On the low low in the cellar, thought I'd tell you if you don't know. On explode, fuck reload, I'm C4, the slow roll. Throwing these difficult bolos like four foes off no doors. Oh no, there we goes again. I can't control my flows, I'm getting close to the point I'm ripping holes and shit. So hold your lip, a loaded clip, get rolled like split and smoke, no joke. I'm here to explode the myth, I'm here to expose a snitch and show the clip. As well as any to doubt me, I'm the new millennium vocalist. Ferocious with explosive lips to blow your actors out the water. Fake out spoilers with your bogus hits. Chauvinistic, richer models get pit by bottles and automatically think you'll be the shit tomorrow. If you wobble, your intent is hollow. My life mission is to catch up to the industry. And I look at It's no surprise why my name is Caution. You can tell by the way that I ride that your side don't want no problems. Got news to make, got news to break. Anything that I do, yeah, it is a go hit me. Just know the hate is gon' show. Don't hate on the no no, cause hate is a no no. But the hate still hate me. We live in a hate economy. Well, if we get a little more than state property, we become subjected to the ridicule of the hecklers. The unfortunate is to breathe hatred through their lungs and pump jealousy through their bloodstreams. I am among the hated and walk through the valley of haters and perpetrators in these envious times, impervious to that fake and haterish way. We try and touch the whole West Coast and the eventually world. the United States and then the world. Boy, I got a story for your ass for to uh, include Dubai. Yep, I sure do. I got a story. Blunt Force for Podcast ass. Radio. So the story goes, So when I was in college, I was real cool with this Saudi Arabian dude. I mean, the dude from <sighs> Dubai. <sighs> ah, I'm already so fucking bored. <laughs> That's that bullshit. Blunt Force Podcast Radio.